Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, hi, welcome back. So, in my episode on minimalism, I mentioned that I have ADHD, and at the end of the episode, I said I was going to talk about it this week, so I am going to talk about it this week. <laughs> um, all right, so I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11. I had undergone a psych evaluation at that time. Um, I don't know if the primary reason for the evaluation was for an ADHD diagnosis or for a disability diagnosis because I got both. Um and I was 11, so obviously I didn't really understand what was going on. But I do remember actually being in those evaluations. And you know what I remember? <laughs> um, the woman who was evaluating me would often give me a Kinder Egg when I finished my sessions. <laughs> so I remember eating those Kinder Egg chocolates and getting those little toys and stuff. That was a highlight for me, obviously. Anyway, so I was evaluated. Um, I think after a number of years of my mom advocating for that because she could just see and based on my academic records and stuff, I just wasn't thriving. And so something was up. So yeah, ADHD diagnosis um, and a what is categorized as a severe learning disability in math. And um, so just to kind of explain the disability diagnosis because there is sort of a scale for the severity of disabilities because generally speaking um you know if you are an average like you 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 um score on an average scales uh in the population so they they place you sorry okay they place you on a scale in percentiles based on the population. It's like when you're a baby and you go, your parents take you to the doctor and they say, your child is in the 50th percentile for growth. That means that you're perfectly average. So same thing with um, these types of evaluations of your cognition. So if you typically would be average um, in, in most areas or in some areas, but in some areas um, of your cognition, you fall well below that, um, you would be considered as having a disability. And so depending on how far, how far the, the disparity is between your strengths and your weaknesses, that dictates the severity of your disability. So for myself, I mean, I'm kind of all over the place in some ways. Some things I, I test like really average. And in some places I test very high. So I think things like uh, writing and a lot of the language things, I, t I tend to test high um, up to about at the 94th percentile. But then in math, um, I test as low as something like the 12th or 13th percentile. So it's a pretty significant disparity between the things that I am best at and the things that I am weakest at, which constitutes a severe learning disability. Um, yeah, so I was treated when I was younger with medication with like Ritalin and, and um, I think another one that I was on for a while was called Stratera. Um, and I really disliked ever being on medication for those things. I felt like I was just not myself. 
Um, so I, I never, I was never on medication for like long periods of time growing up. Um, but yeah, so it, it was an interesting experience for me being in public school because they put me in resource classes and, um, I was given an IEP, which is an independent education, uh, program to try to accommodate for my needs, um, particularly in the math, um, area. And I, of course, exhibited some of the other symptoms of ADHD being, uh, well, so the ADHD diagnosis that I was given was the inattentive subtype, which is typically what girls are given because um, as we're learning more and more now, girls tend to present a little differently with ADHD than boys do. And boys um, are, are more often the hyperactivity side of things, whereas girls tend to be more the daydreamers, spacey, not focused kind of um, symptoms, which can be di more difficult to identify and pin, pin down and associate with a potentially a uh, ADHD diagnosis. So this is why often um, girls go undiagnosed for years and years and years, uh, whereas boys get early diagnoses because generally speaking, boys who are hyperactive are more disruptive in classes and that it's more physically evident that something is not quite right, whereas girls will be more um, intro, uh, almost introspective. Um, so for me, you know, I would be sitting in class quietly, but I wasn't absorbing anything that they were saying. <laughs> I was just sitting there and totally spaced out, not paying attention. And uh, so it made it very difficult to learn in that classroom setting. And as I've, I've been, you know, I continue to learn more about what this, what this disability and what this, uh, this stuff does with my brain, how my brain functions. Um, I'm, I'm learning more about how the, the ways that I do learn best. Um, and yeah, so it's, it was interesting growing up again. Um, they had some different strategies for dealing with kids with these diagnoses at the time than I think what they do now. So I, I characterize my experience in public education as being overall disempowering. Um, nobody, so this is the thing that I find interesting. I am on TikTok now, and so I've, I've been following people um, more and more who are neurodivergent um, and ADHDers and stuff. So I'm seeing what people's, other people's experiences are like, and apparently it's fairly common for um, administrators and teachers and parents uh, of, of children with ADHD to say things like, you're so intelligent, you could do such great things if you applied yourself. Um, but they obviously they they are neurodivergent. And so they don't quite um, do things the way that is expected of them and the way that society is sort of set up. But the interesting thing for me is that I don't recall anyone ever saying that to me. I don't recall anyone ever saying like, you're a bright kid, but blah, blah, blah. Um, I you know, people weren't mean to me. They didn't say like, you're stupid, but that was kind of the feeling that I got a lot of the time growing up was that I was just kind of dumb, kind of slow and like couldn't keep up. And it was like being trapped in my own mind because I felt like I knew things. I didn't feel like I was stupid. I didn't feel dumb. But that's not the message. I was never given the message growing up that, like, I was a smart person. I just learned a little differently. And I never felt like we ever got to a place in public education anyway where I was comfortable in my learning environment, that I felt like I was able to 
um, be the best student that I could be. And I mean, this is also, of course, affected by the fact that I, I struggled with depression and that sort of um, other mental um, and, and health, mental health illnesses as well. So that's kind of layered on top of it, um, especially when I was a teenager. So part of it was just that, like, I wasn't getting to class. I mean, I, I took a fitness class in high school because I thought that it would be easy and um, simple and, and it wouldn't you know, I wouldn't have to write or anything, but it required me to be physically active. And I was I didn't know it at the time, but I was severely depressed. And so I finished that class with like a 26 percent because I never went. I was not getting out of bed. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't doing the things. Um, so that had a big part of it, too. Um, and and so one thing that. I do remember a dis distinctly a conversation that I had with a guidance counselor. And I talk about this because um, it stuck with me. And I find it interesting because she made, she had no malintent. She did not intend to hurt me or to, to make me feel bad. Like that was not her intention. But what she said to me was that I was I must have been struggling with university level courses I was taking and she said to me you shouldn't be taking universal university level classes you're not going to be going to university you're not the kind of student that goes to university so you should just take college level courses and make it easy on yourself and again like there's no she's not saying this to like make me feel bad she thinks that this is something that's going to help me to um get through the process of being in high school and move on with my life after. And that's the kind of stuff where I say like, it's being, it's like being trapped in your own mind. You can't quite perform the way that you're meant to, the way that they, you're expected to, but you don't feel stupid either. Like I didn't feel like I didn't understand the material or that I didn't understand things going on around me. There was just this disconnection between what I was understanding and how I was able to perform on tests and write papers and that kind of stuff. Um, and actually, I did take a couple of courses in high school that were sort of like sociology related, um, and I did quite well in those classes. I, I, you know, wrote papers in them that I think I still have. <laughs> I was talking in the minimalism episode about keeping intellectual property. That would be part of it. <laughs> um so yeah, so there like, there were glimmers of the of this this ability in me to be a good student, but it was just never tapped into, and and uh, it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of effort in trying to get me there. It was more like okay, let's get you through this process so that you can move on with your life. Um, and so that was again ultimately very disempowering. I didn't feel like I was a good student. I didn't feel like I was supposed to be a student. Um, I felt like I I was going to go into some kind of an arts um, uh, field. I wanted to do makeup and esthetician and that sort of thing, or maybe be a flight attendant or something um, that would help me travel and stuff. So those are the kinds of things that I had my sights set on coming out of high school. But again, I was severely depressed at the time. And so when I did get an opportunity to do some makeup artistry for um, a photographer, I just flaked completely. And then because I felt like an asshole for flaking, it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And so that really soured my, my drive to do that. 
Um, and so I kind of just stopped doing it. And also like, I do have this ability to hold myself back from things because of the fear of failing at them or not even just failing, but like not nailing it. (laughs) And so there have been times when I haven't taken opportunities, especially where it concerns being artistic, I'm more afraid to put myself out there with my art than I am with anything else. I can write, I can talk, obviously. Um, And I can be artistic. I have artistic abilities, but I am terrified of, of messing up. And so sometimes I won't even practice doing art because I don't want to see the crap that I'm going to create. (laughs) Anyway, I'm getting off topic here. Um, So I, uh, I, you know, went and did the the same thing a lot of us do coming out of high school and I got a job in retail and I decided I was going to travel Europe with my boyfriend and just do some fun stuff. And we did. And it was good. And then Nick decided that, because obviously my boyfriend at that time is now my husband because I've dated one guy. <laughs> no, I've dated other guys too, but like seriously dating only ever him. So, um, yeah, so he decided after we got back from Europe that he was going to go to Mohawk College and get uh, a diploma in, um, I think it was, it was a civil engineering technologist diploma. And I forget exactly what happened there, but he started at Mohawk and then he ended up transferring and going to Conestoga instead. But I went with him. I was like, all right, I'm, well, yes, if you're going to go to college, I maybe I'll go to college and we'll just see how this goes. And so I went to Mohawk and did a general arts and science diploma. I started in the January semester because they do the staggered starts there. So I started in January. I, I did a full, full-on year. I went right through. I did three semesters. Um, so I did a summer semester as well. I just ate that shit up. I loved it. And a big part of doing that was accessing the what was referred to then as disability services. I think they may have renamed themselves now. Um, doesn't matter. It, disability is disability. doesn't matter. Um, so accessing that service, though, was so helpful because somehow the, 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 the disconnection that I had felt when I was in public school was eradicated when I went into these disability services and they had a learning strategist and they had people who were there to help you figure out how you were going to be successful. And, and again, like I have these vivid memories of sitting down with this woman who was her, her whole job was to help you learn the way that your brain works best. And she taught me all these things about how to take notes and highlighting and writing. And it was just so useful. And it was like, wow, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've needed my whole life is just for someone to sit down with me and be like, all right, how are we going to help you be most successful at this thing that you've decided to do? And uh, yeah, so I I did very well in college. And so, like I said, I started in January. I did one full year. And so then I finished after the following the, the following winter semester. Sorry, I just hit my, my mic a bit there. Because um, <laughs> it just occurred to me that I, I'm a hand talker. So I'm talking with my hands while I'm doing this, which is why I, I bump into things. <laughs> anyway... Um, yeah, so I I ate that up and it was like 
one of the best experiences because it showed me that I was extremely capable as a student, that I was able to do whatever I wanted to do. I could, I could do whatever, right? Like it was just, it was very empowering. And uh, so I finished that program and I looked at going to McMaster because they have, um, they have a, a thing you can do through a number of different universities where, and oh, that's why Nick went to Conestoga. <laughs> Nick, oh, anyway, because Nick ultimately went to Conestoga because he could transfer his credits to Lakehead University, which is where we ultimately both got our undergraduate degrees. Um, and the, the process for transferring, transferring credits there was much more seamless or something. So because you can do it through McMaster as well. But again, I think some, there was something about the way that the transfer worked. It was better with, with the Conestoga Lakehead. So... I looked at McMaster doing a transfer credit there too and ultimately decided to go with Nick to Lakehead and they also accepted credits from my my college diploma so I think it, it I got like a, a one psych credit and a soc credit or something like that taken off of my degree uh, in psychology and so we moved to Thunder Bay together <laughs> And, uh, and same thing, I got there and I immediately went to the disability services, or I think it was called accessibility services there. And I was partnered with this amazing woman um, who was just like, oh, she was the best. She's the best. And she wasn't, a, she was just sort of, sort of a counselor. And I could just go talk to her about like what I was experiencing and the, the things that I was struggling with and what I was getting right. And she was so, she was just like my little cheerleader throughout my entire, the whole process. She would just be there behind me being like, you can do this. You're so smart. You're so capable. Of course you can do it. And like, she just never, ever had a sense of doubt that if I wanted to do something that I might have to think about it twice. She's like, don't think twice. Do the things that you're going to do. So that was really wonderful. And, and like, I remember at my graduation, because technically it's all, it's all confidential. So, or not technically, it is confidential. So they're not allowed to identify themselves as your counselor through that service publicly. Um, you can say it yourself, like as a student, you can say that's my counselor, but they can't anyway. Um, so, but at my graduation, I remember being like, that's my counselor. And like, I was making sure everybody knew like this woman, she's behind me. She really helped me get through this. Um, and uh, yeah, so, oh, and so I, I, I totally skipped over a part of this though, um, because I, in order to, to access the accessibility services at the university, I had to be reassessed for my disability and my ADHD diagnosis. So I was like 23 and I went and did the reassessment and the um, disability diagnosis was virtually the same as it was when I was a child. It might, I might've gone up like a couple of percentiles from when I was a child, but, um, certainly the gap between my strengths and weaknesses was still apparent. Um, and actually, so fun fact, uh, because the disparity between my strengths and weaknesses is so vast, they are not able to accurately calculate my IQ. So I don't have an IQ score <laughs> because it's it, because the 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 um, the math disability 
pulls my score down so low that it's not actually representative of my intelligence. So that's interesting. Anyway, so the, the disability diagnosis stood, but the ADHD one, actually, they said in the report that I did not quite meet the criteria for a diagnosis, but they noted that it could be that A, I've come up with some pretty stellar coping strategies, which I have, um, and B, or so, so there's three, the other option would have been that I outgrew it, which is, they say sometimes what happens. I'm not totally sure I believe that. Um, and the third thing is that I was on medication at that time because I was being, being treated for narcolepsy. And the medication that I was taking for that is very similar to the type of medication that they put you on when you are being treated for ADHD. So it had very similar effects in treating the ADHD symptoms. And um, yeah, so they said at that time that technically I didn't meet the, the, the criteria for ADHD, but I'm telling you, I haven't been on that medication for about six years now. And I definitely feel like I'm way more affected by my ADHD symptoms now than I was then. Like I was able to focus and get things done and be productive um, and not be, I don't know, just quite so scattered as I am now. Um, so I think that that's what it was. I think it was a combination of like, again, having good coping strategies to, to deal with the ADHD stuff but also um, the fact that I was on a fairly strong stimulant medication at the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be interested to do another assessment now and see what they say. But, I mean, <laughs> so, the, okay, so the interesting thing is that, of course, I went on to do a master's degree after my undergrad. Um, I earned two undergraduate degrees, a psychology degree and anthropology degree. And so I went on to do an archaeology master's degree after. And uh, the first, now I'm trying to think. Yeah, so I arrived in Saskatoon and I got started in my classes. And shortly after that, Nick proposed the idea of maybe having a baby. <laughs> and I was like, that's oh, great timing. I'm doing grad studies. I've got a flexible schedule, blah, blah, blah. Sure, let's do it. But I couldn't be on my medication, for my narcolepsy medication, um, while I was pregnant or breastfeeding because it's it, it literally was like it's not a question of if it will uh, cause birth defects, it's just to what degree it'll cause birth defects. So it was a big no-no to be on that. So I had to wean off of that first before we started trying to get pregnant, and then I haven't been on it since. So I will say with confidence <laughs> that the ADHD stuff um, definitely has had has had an impact on how um, competent I've been able to approach the master's research um, since starting it. Uh, unfortunately, like so I said, like I said, I, I had even from the beginning of my my semester of uh, first semester of grad stuff um, studies, I was basically off that medication because we started, I think we started trying to get pregnant in like September or October or something like that. Um, and then I was pregnant by the end of December. And then, so unfortunately, I ended up having um, antenatal or prenatal depression. So I was treated for that, but it didn't, I mean, I was 
I was just like a lost cause for those nine months, basically. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it was a struggle to get through my coursework. And um, I didn't do as well as I, I mean, I did okay. I did okay. Because honestly, I think we, a lot of us learned this in grad school that like, you think you're so smart when you come out of undergrad because you got 90s and everything. And then you get to grad school and they're like, and here's reality. Actually, it's much harder. <laughs> Uh, so, cause so a few of us had this experience of being like sort of culture shocked by like getting seventies all of a sudden. It's like, what? Anyway, so it was a struggle. Um, I definitely found that there were times when I, like there was an assignment that I had to submit where I just completely missed half of the instructions on the assignment. I just didn't see them. And so my prof was very gracious and I forget how it worked out, but he, he didn't hold it against me too hard. Um, but I was like, what the, what the hell? Like, how did I not see that there was this whole other side of this assignment that I just didn't do? Um, so that kind of stuff started to come up more, and it has come up more. Um, and, yeah, so so I, you know, had my first pregnancy, and then Emily was born, and I took four months technically of leave, but actually it was more like 12. Um, I didn't really do uh, enough work to have said that I was back in school, you know, for that first year. So yeah, there was that, but then, but getting back into it, you know, it was, it was hard. And of course, you know, I have babies and stuff, a baby at that time. Now I ultimately ended up having two, but, um, but yeah, so this is something that I think I've kind of wanted to address at some point because it did take me like five years to do the master's, which um, to be totally honest, uh, if you're listening to this this episode and you happen to have gone to grad school with me, you'll know that like five years actually is not unusual um, or more. Um, most people like, so basically I think one or two people in my cohort of our program finished their master's within the two year or two and a half year timeline that we're supposed to do it. And everybody else finished, um, after, and actually one of my good friends from grad school, I didn't even realize, um, was defending her thesis the day after I defended mine. So like it, anyway, five years, not unheard of, but a lot of people, I think, attribute to the time that it took me to do it, um, mostly because I had children, and like it's not to say that they didn't have an it didn't have an effect on me. Obviously, it did, but I think people um, assume and overestimate how much of an impact it had, and how much of the impact was just that I was dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome. And a lot of like lack of inspiration because there were times when I had childcare and my kids were looked after and I had no reason and I could just and I had the opportunity to sit down and do work but I couldn't I physically could not get myself to do work um, I get distracted and stuff and I'm finding I'm finding right now especially being home with the kids getting things done is. <laughs> I know this is going to sound stupid. Getting things done is really challenging uh, because I'm home all the time. What I've noticed about myself is that if I want to get shit done, I have to go somewhere. So that was what I learned when I was doing the master's um, stuff when I actually started writing actively. Uh, Nick stayed home with Bobby for nine months. 
And I spent the first four months of that time writing basically the entire thesis. Um, and I would go out. I would go to the coffee shop or the library or wherever. I would just find these different places to sit down and write. And I would spend a whole day or, you know, doing research or whatever. But, but yeah, it was the act of getting out of my house that made me most productive. I, I find it very difficult to get anything done from home. And so that's what I'm experiencing now. And so I said, I, I feel like it kind of sounds stupid because like, obviously it's kind of hard to do work when you're home with kids. But like, I mean, right now they're here. I'm here with them. They're just playing, they're doing their thing. And so I have the opportunity to sit here and like do something. But more often than not, I do nothing. I get nothing done. And then Nick comes over the other day and he's like, what did you do today? I'm like, hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, I sat there, and then, oh, and then I sat over there, <laughs> and maybe I did a workout, and, well, yeah, that was, that was kind of it, and that's why I said in my, like, year in review that 2020 taught me that I can waste my potential really easily, and I have to admit, like, it's very hard to motivate myself to, to do anything, um, because, because things like social media, they're attached to, like, dopamine you know you get this this shot of dopamine every time you see a new video or you see someone else's post or something it's a it's that extra hit and so it's hard to put it down it's hard to not get sucked into it um and so I'm trying you know to like again schedule myself to do things to sit down and like follow my schedule or at least have an idea of things that I can and should get done that day to have those readings set up so that um, instead of going on social media, I'm like, oh, right, I could read a paper right now or something um, because I have all the time in the world and I can squander it easily. And this is all part of like the stuff that I, I deal with because I can get easily distracted in, and then hyper-focused on something on my phone or whatever. It, it just, it happens. And so suddenly time slips by. And that's actually a very common ADHD thing that I did not realize for a long time is like sort of like time blindness. Time passes by and you do not realize. And when I was, when I was growing up, I remember this happening all the time back when we didn't have like constant communication with people. So my mom would, you know, she'd be going out for a little while and she'd go, Kate, can you do the dishes while I'm gone? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then she leaves and I go back to whatever it was that I was doing with and only half paying attention. And then suddenly out of nowhere, I hear the car pull back in the driveway. I'm like, what, what? She's already back. And it's been like two hours. I have done nothing. And then I have to like rapidly try to do the dishes and act like they've been done for the last hour or something like it. I don't know. Stuff like that would happen to me all the time. I really severely suffer with time blindness. It is crazy how fast time will slip by for me. And I won't realize that I, I've, I've done nothing and time is gone now. So, holy crap, I am really rambling on here. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I find, I like to talk about this journey that I've been on in terms of understanding and working through my diagnoses and whatnot, because um, I think it's a good sort of example of like persevering and not really letting the world tell you who you are or who you can become or what you can do, 
because by all measures, I was not supposed to be um, a a post-secondary student. I was not the material for that. But here I am, having completed three degrees and a diploma and always looking to do more. Um, And so, you know, I just, I like to tell this story. I think it's, it's, uh, it's not unique necessarily, but it's a triumphant kind of experience. I feel like, wow, shit, I really, really have nailed some things in life that I don't think anybody ever saw me doing. And um, this is part of why I'm, I'm, I sometimes struggle, but I also am okay with the trajectory of my life because I'm like, man, if I had known, if I had got my shit together when I was 16 and was able to have got my grades up and been able to go to university when I was 18, my life would be so different. Um, But I can't think like that. You know, I think having the experiences that I've had and the way my life has turned out has been beneficial overall. Like it's been of benefit to me. I've learned a lot and um, there's some valuable stuff in there that I would never have learned and I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't gone on the path that I've been on. And so there is something to be said for just accepting your lot and accepting what your life is going to give you and, and persevering and doing what you want to do anyway. And then seeing the person that you become as a result. So yeah, I mean, bottom line is I can't do math. Um, I'm really, really terrible at it. I have gotten pretty good at counting with money um, because I worked in retail for a while, so I got a lot of practice. But even last year, this is the thing, okay, so keep this in mind from here on out, if I can ask you one favor. Don't make fun of people because they have trouble doing stuff. Like last year, I was working at a job, and I had to count back cash for a customer, which I don't have to do very often anymore because, or no, like people in retail don't because we use cards all the time, but I had to count cash back, and I stopped, and I had money in my hand, and then I I was counting, and I I did that thing where like I looked up in the air because I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm doing, and the customers both laughed at me because it took me a few seconds to count out and it wasn't like a significant amount of money. It was probably like 50 bucks and and whatever anyway, but they, but they laughed at me and they didn't again, mean it maliciously, but it just made me feel so shitty and it made it so much harder to get to the conclusion of what it was that I was trying to do because I was distracted by the fact that like I couldn't do it fast enough. So you know, I'm bad for this because like Nick has a disability too and he has trouble with language. And so sometimes I laugh at him when he, when he's having trouble reading a word and stuff. And like, I realize that this is not something that we should be doing and we should really be mindful of these things. Um, but it's hard. And anyway, so my point is that like, if someone is struggling to count or to do something that you think should be relatively simple and easy, just take a second to, to, to think about what it might be like for them because not everybody can, is able to do the things that you can do and not at the same speed. Um, and I learned this recently too. I've, I've realized the same thing with like telling time. I've always sort of, I, for a long time, I thought that I couldn't tell time at all. And then eventually I, I got myself a watch and I was like, I'm going to have it on the analog face so that I have to look at the analog and figure it out. Um, but it would take me so long to do it that I eventually just stopped even trying to read it. 
And then it hit me one day that I was like, I just need to take the pressure off to be able to do this thing quickly, rapidly. When I take the pressure off of having to do it rapidly and I let myself take my time, study the face, see what I need to see, and then get to the conclusion, I get there. And I actually get there not even that slowly. It's not even that slow. But the idea that I couldn't do it, that I was going to be slow, that was what gave me the anxiety that made me slow. (laughs) So I've been working on that lately. I've been working on taking my time to read my watch face. And it's been super helpful. And I've been telling the time reliably. (laughs) And again, it sounds stupid. Like it sounds like you're, you're, dumb (laughs) but I but I promise I'm not and you're not if you struggle with these things I'm telling you you're not dumb you're not dumb you just do things a little differently and there are there's nothing wrong with that so what if it takes you a few extra seconds to tell the time or to count that cash back or whatever it doesn't matter it really doesn't because it doesn't affect who you are as a person it doesn't identify you as a person you have lots of great qualities so Anyway, I think that's all I can tell about this story right now that I can think of. Um, But yeah, so that was actually more of a story about like my educational background than the ADHD stuff, I guess. But but that's all part of it because a lot of the ADHD qualities come out when it comes to like uh, education and work and that kind of thing. So I'll probably keep talking about this um, and keep sharing about what's what my life has been like with the this diagnosis and these disabilities. Um, but for now, I think I've carried on for long enough. So yeah, if you have a story that you want to tell, have some experiences that you want to share, um, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my info is in the show notes as always. And, um, yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me. I will see you in the next one.